Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. You have an update on Tiger over there, Chad? I could uh, ask Jacob to keep scrolling on the screen, but it may be a while. I do not, but I will have one before the end of the segment. Okay. We'll, I'll update you. We'll have that. Right now, though, we say hello to Brent Hubbs, VolQuest.com. He or Austin Price will join us, sometimes both, uh, as we get into uh, all of the news and notes out of Knoxville. VolQuest has you covered in that regard. Uh, Brent, I'm curious. Do you have any feuds you'd like to bring up? You have, do, you, do you have a response to Nick Saban today? <laughs> Uh, I was with Josh Heupel yesterday, and I said, hey, do, do you have, I mean, do, you got any kind of beef we need to air here before <laughs> you get to, to Destin and spring meetings? Because uh, everybody's got their uh, airing of grievances, it, yeah. it appears at this point. That was certainly a, a heck of a storyline yesterday, and um, Nick Saban kind of walking it back a little bit yesterday afternoon. And I'm sure everybody will be happy and somewhat hold hands and sing Kumbaya so that they can all get their big check at the end of the meetings week in Destin, Florida. Uh, but but clearly, uh, just to, to kind of sum up that for me, I, I think the biggest takeaway I have from everything yesterday is Jimbo Fisher's got a lot of anger at Nick Saban that goes far beyond something he said at a booster meeting in yeah. Birmingham, Alabama, uh, the, the night before. That, that 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 the animosity he had in that press conference goes far beyond any quote Nick Saban might have said about his program. Uh, 12 hours earlier or 18 hours earlier. That was my biggest overriding takeaway is that there's a lot of hostilities there that's been vent up for a while, it appears. No doubt. And, you know, we, we mentioned it yesterday. We led the show by replaying the nine, 10 minute press or whatever it was because it was very difficult to select three or four cuts from that because everything just flowed into the next thing. Brent, and over, over the years, just throughout the SEC, what comes to mind in, in regards to pressers like that? We, we know, um, you know, uh, Arkansas, uh, Tennessee certainly had their their fair share of pressers uh, with Kiffin and other things like that. With uh, again, like to me, it's very hard in this day and age, in the social media age. Um, Petrino was right on the right on the edge of that, but it's it's hard to find anything comparable to what we saw yesterday in College Station. Yeah, I don't know that we've seen one with that much venom. I mean, the Petrino thing was just weird. Yeah. I mean, he's got the neck brace on. You've got the crazy story. I mean, that one was just kind of bizarre. I, I don't know that I can recall one where you saw somebody going after somebody. I mean, you, you, you got the... You got the whole Gundy, I, I, you know, I'm a man, I'm 40 deal, where he's going after a media person. Uh, you had the 10-second the blurb from, from Les Miles about his, his damn strong football team but before you play an SEC championship game. That was kind of bizarre. He calls a press conference, so to speak, before you play the championship game. But nothing to this degree where somebody went after somebody else in the profession 
on a public stage the way that we saw yesterday. I, I mean, just you, you just you just don't see that kind of thing. I, I I said this on my message board yesterday. If if neither one of those coaches get fined for what took place yesterday, can you really find anybody in the SEC if they want to challenge officiating after a after a bad call? I mean, can can any coach sit up there and go? I'd love to say something about officiating, but I don't want to get in trouble with the league office. I mean, I mean, you, you just had Jimbo Fisher basically. I don't know what you. I don't know how to sum up what he called Nick Saban in a press conference. But so, if, if he doesn't get so punished, he needed to be from, slapped. Yeah, I mean, if if you don't get punished for that by the league office, can't you really just kind of say whatever you want to say in a press conference these days? Well, it, maybe, maybe I'm would, wrong. No, you're not wrong. No, like no yeah. but I think that shows the respect for Sankey. Like Kiffin being told not to go on Dan Patrick today. Um, Kiffin knowing that you know, what's going to happen to Kiffin if he does that, based on the response of the league yesterday with a public <laughs> recommend, he's, reprimand. He's going like, to stir the pot. He's yeah. going to stir the pots. What he's going to do. Is Lane Kiffin worried about a public reprimand? Like, but he, no. he, he didn't do the interview to that point. Well, but but here's the thing. What what was Sankey's what was Sankey's response to Ross Bork, the athletics director, who called out Sankey publicly? They yeah. supposedly had a conversation. Did he get a reprimand? And what does a reprimand mean? <laughs> What does that mean? Hey, don't do that again. That, that's like it's like the everybody had that one friend whose parents were like, "Hey, Timmy, don't do that. I'm going to spank you next time, Timmy, or you're going to get in trouble." And Timmy got like 17 warnings. Isn't that yeah. kind of what a reprimand is right now? Hey, don't do that again. Okay. I mean, what's the punishment? Don't do it again is what you're told. I don't know. I wonder. There's a lot of professions that like to talk and they like to gossip, but maybe none more so than coaching. Uh, they love to talk, and they love gossip. Brent, what do you think the rest of the SEC, not just head coaches, but assistant coaches across the league, both former Saban assistant and non-former Saban assistants alike, were thinking yesterday when all of this going on? Was this the ultimate grab-your-popcorn moment across the league? Uh, I think there was a lot of, whoa, is that really what, I mean, really? Is that what really, did that really just happen? I think it was kind of the, the, that kind of reaction that that because Jimbo Fisher didn't just say he was mad about the comment, right? That that he didn't. He started out by saying the comment was unfair, um, and, and you knew the, the the poor sports information director had zero chance of controlling that thing yesterday. It was over as soon as the microphone got hot, and and then I think the the biggest stunner from everybody is how far Jimbo went. And, and, and his disparaging of, of Nick Saban, far beyond what he said at, at an event. I, I think that was the biggest takeaway from everybody in the conference was like, did he just really do that publicly? Like, really? Because you just don't see that every day with, with any coach. I mean, look, Mike Leach says all kinds of things. He's never done anything like that. Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin has called out the league office before. I, I was at the press conference where he called out the league office about the Florida game and and went after Urban Meyer a little bit after Urban Meyer accused him of trying not to lose or whatever that was. I mean, you've seen a little bit of that. You've never, I, I've never seen that yesterday. I've never seen somebody that critical publicly of somebody else in their profession at the college level in any conference, much less the SEC. Brent Hubbs is with VolQuest.com. He joins us weekly on Outkick 360. Brent, uh, take us through the business design of buying out BYU in 2023, buying out meaning they're going to get $2 million of the ticket sales from Nissan Stadium in 2023 for Tennessee and Virginia. Um, 
how much revenue is going to be generated from that game in ticket sales? And why move from BYU if BYU's going to the Big 12 and they probably don't want to play the game either? Why did it cost Tennessee $2 million to do it? Well, you had a couple, you had a lot of different variables going on there. One, the BYU athletic director is, by the way, who's never made a comment about getting out of the game or losing the game. He's never said a word. And I think part of that is because he doesn't want to dive into answering any questions about it because at the end of the day, I'm not sure they want, I don't think they wanted to play the game with Arkansas also on the schedule, Mm -hmm. a road trip to Arkansas, that if they tried to get out of the Arkansas game, they were going to have to write a big check to get out of that game because Arkansas was going to hold their feet to the fire on that one. Um, So I I don't think from a competitive standpoint, BYU wanted to play two SEC teams in three weeks and then head into Baylor and whatever else your Big 12 schedule is like. Um, Tennessee was okay with getting out of the game, but they weren't going to fund the check. They weren't going to write the check out of their own uh, coffers, if you will, um, and say, hey, here's, here's, here's money for us to get out of that deal. So the BYU guy is trying to save a little face, right? He can tell his fans, hey, they're paying to get out of the game. We're not just turning the money away. Um, Tennessee can say, hey, we're not writing a check. The National Sports Council is helping us out here. They're taking ticket money off the top. We're still going to get ticket money. Um, We're still going to get money off the game in Nashville. It helps Tennessee in Nashville with mid-state fans that you have a presence there, particularly when this year you're playing on a Thursday night, which for your season opener, that doesn't make it great for Tennessee fans to come in there. And Tennessee needs a bigger presence in Nashville. Virginia's sitting there, and they've got a, a, a game they need to find. Tennessee's available, so you got a Power 5 matchup. I'm not sure Tennessee does this deal if it's to play Bowling Green or Wyoming or something like that. But because they could get a Power 5 opponent, I think they were interested in doing it in Nashville because it's going to generate some ticket sales. And then from a competitive standpoint, Tennessee's going to have two, maybe three new starters on the offensive line, perhaps a freshman quarterback, at least one new receiver, maybe two new receivers are starting. Uh, two new tight ends are going to be starting. On the defensive side, they may have two new defensive ends, a brand-new core of linebackers, two new safeties. Not sure you want to roll into Provo, Utah, with that much newness taking your first college snap. So from a competitive standpoint, the Virginia matchup in Nashville is probably a little better matchup for Tennessee that way. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of, of how this thing came about in, in somewhat short order. If Tennessee was going to have to write the check out of their pocket, they would not have done this deal. I don't believe. That's my opinion. Nobody's told me that, but I don't believe Tennessee would have done that. What would the would it have been the same price? Yeah, yeah, it was going to be. It, yeah, to, to get out of that deal contractually, it was going to cost two million dollars. Now, if you're Tennessee and you pay two million dollars to go away, right. and then you want to bring in an opponent in Neyland Stadium, say you're going to bring in Toledo, that's right. probably going to cost you a million and a half. Now, all of a sudden, you're, you're spending three and a half million dollars to play that game. Financially, that's a dumb decision by Danny White, and not one that he would ever make. This one, there's no money changing hands for Tennessee, and they'll still make money even after they take the money off the top. In Nashville, or just break yeah. even? No, I think there's. I think they'll make some money. Now, according to the contract, BYU gets the first two million. Then the National Sports Council gets five hundred thousand to cover expenses, and then Tennessee and Virginia split up to the next one point five million dollars. Now, how much money is there going to be in ticket sales? I don't know the answer to that. We'll see. You're, you're not having to charter a plane to go to BYU. You're going to take buses over, so you'll save probably $400,000 there or something like that. So it's not going to be a situation where Tennessee's taking some kind of big net loss on this in, in, in any way, shape, or form. And again, they're in Nashville. 
Um, I don't think Danny White wants to do a ton of neutral site games, but a Nashville neutral site game makes some sense. And this is a one-off. You're not doing a home-and-home neutral site deal. This is to complete one element of that contract to put it behind you. And I think all parties involved are probably pretty pleased with this right now. They hope that – I know the the Titans hope that whenever the Vols get here for that game, there's construction going on behind the stadium for a, uh, for a, for a new, new stadium. stadium. Yeah, yeah, they they yeah, want I, some resolution this fall for that for a breaking ground next year. Hey Brent, yeah, I mean I I don't know how I don't know how fast they can get that done, but obviously that's oh yeah, you know, that, that's that, that this that is down the road. Done. I'm just saying, get ready to uh, for parking nightmares and and construction going on around that game. Yeah, they're they're hoping by 2026 they they're able to kick things off in the new stadium. Hey, Brent, you've been around different types of, of coaches there in Knoxville in terms of interest in scheduling and how involved they get. I'm just curious, uh, Josh Heupel, how involved does he get with Danny White in saying, we have to do this, we must do this, in structuring future schedules, or is he a little bit more hands-off? Uh, I think it's more of Danny White probably comes to Josh Heupel and talks to him a little bit more about scheduling. Um, you know, what do you, what do we like? What do we want to do here now? Now, some of the scheduling's done way out in advance. So there's not going to be a, to this point, they've not had a whole lot of scheduling there, but I think Danny, Pro, Danny White probably went to Josh Heupel and said, Hey, if I did this game in Nashville, are you okay with that? And I think Josh Heupel probably looked at his roster and what it was going to look like. and went, yeah, I'm good with that one. That That's okay. If that's what you want to do, we're, we're, we're good with that. I don't think Josh Heupel went to Danny White day one and said, Hey, don't take me to BYU. I don't want to go there. Now, Josh Heupel's been to BYU and had a bad experience. I think as an Oklahoma assistant coach, he opened a season against BYU somewhere, um, and I don't think it went very well. But I don't think that there's that kind of uh, discussion going on. Uh, but, but I do think Danny White converses and, and will continue to converse with, with Josh Heupel on, 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 you know, what do you like scheduling this? Would you be interested in this game, that game? Does this game make sense? I do think there's some dialogue there. I, I don't think he just hands Josh Heupel his schedule and says, "Here's this is what we're going to do." And on conversely, I don't think Josh Heupel walks to Danny White and says, "Hey, I, you know, we're redlining these twelve teams. Don't ever schedule them or anything like that." Brent, forgive me for looking this far in advance um, for a 2023 game. This could this could be Nico's first game. Yep, could be. Could could it, very it well be. Makes sense that you want it here in a home environment rather than on the road out west. Although he yeah, could I, have his family there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, his family may be in Nashville. No, that, you never know. That's fair. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I think that you're looking at what is the best, you, you know, from a, if you're Josh Heupel from a competitive standpoint, what, what do you like better? Do you like a Virginia team that's going through a rebuild process? Or do you, you want to go play against a BYU team that may have four 25-year-old defensive Polynesian defensive linemen mm-hmm. who are, who are, you know, been around college football for a long time? Um you know, so from that standpoint, I, I think that was in consideration. Again, Tennessee didn't duck out of that game. Th- this was kind of everybody's like, "Hey, it probably makes sense not to play it." Um, BYU in particular, you know, but but the BYU AD's got to save a little face on that deal because remember they had, I mean, they're an independent. They had eleven games, twelve games in a schedule, and they're having to get out of a bunch of those games because of the conference schedule. Now the Big Twelve's helping them some, but you know that they're they've. They've suspended a series with Utah State, which is a rivalry game. You know, there's some different things that he's taken. They've taken a little bit of heat on uh, with some of their scheduling. So I don't think it was a situation where he was ever going to let Tennessee walk with, without some kind of payment to them. 
and Tennessee was not going to just write a check unless somebody helped them out, and the National Sports Group is going to do that. So roster building in college basketball is fascinating right now. And Rick Barnes adds two new signings this past week. Both of them could be considered developmental guys, not instant impact guys as high school players, incoming freshmen. But the issue with that, Brent, is while Rick Barnes and his staff have proven to be great developmental coaches, you have to actually keep players in your program long enough to develop them and not have them leave after a year when they're not contributing. And these guys, let's face it, probably won't contribute much and play much in year one. So how do you see Tennessee balancing that as they form a roster? Because I can see the potential and upside with both of these players, but in order to reap the benefits of that, they have to stay in your program, and that's becoming increasingly more difficult. Well, I think that what you're hoping is that these guys are understanding of how this program works and that you, you, there's sweat equity still. Now, there's a challenge in sweat equity with the transfer portal, right, that, that you got to earn your – and that's the beautiful thing about Tony Vitello's baseball team right now is he's got so many veterans who have waited their turn, which is rare to see. In college basketball, you don't see that a lot at all because – you know, you can get two new transfers and your and your team looks totally different and, and the outlook of your team is very different. So it's about roster management and that's the new challenge in college basketball is how do you get a guy to be patient, to understand that maybe your time's not coming to year two. Um, Brandon Huntley Hatfield did, didn't want to wait. I mean, you know, that's why he left. He, he wanted more opportunities and more assurances of things and, and decided that Tennessee wasn't the best place for him. Uh, so I don't know the answer to your question, Chad. You hope you're recruiting guys who have the right mental makeup, and, and you hope you're recruiting guys who can help some early on and, and can play some early on and see the fruits of their labor if they stay through the program and continue to develop. Only time's going to tell the answer to that question, though. Brent, it is not your normal spring meeting coming up. So next week there will be a lot to chat about with you <laughs> and Austin. Uh, that, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, nuts. <laughs> Yeah, and it starts – I mean, obviously the storyline is going to be the soap opera between those two coaches, but there's some bigger storylines here. How do you manage NIL, the transformation committee in college football and what all they're going to want to seek, um, payments to players by universities, how are you going to do scheduling, are you going to do pods, divisions, no divisions like everybody else is doing. There is a lot of meat on the docket. This is not the Oprah gathering, everybody gets a big check, you know, week-long deal that, that, that we've seen in years past. There is a lot of things to discuss, and there will be a lot of tension with it, not just because of Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, but there's a lot of varying opinions on how things should be done in college football moving forward, and that'll be on the forefront of uh, everybody's mind in Destin, Florida. Well, no matter if they take the reins or not, publicly, perception-wise, whatever news comes out of the SEC meetings will will set the table for this discussion nationwide, right? Like that. They, there will be a lot of, no matter if they want to admit it or not, conferences will follow what Greg Sankey and the SEC football coaches decide to do here. Well, no, quite, no doubt. One, you're, you're, the, you're the most prolific, most financially successful conference in college sports. You're the most sound, stable you know, conference in college sports. Uh, and your commissioner, um, who I think likes the thought that he's the most powerful yes. man in college sports, um, is running this league, and he's also uh, – you know, helping run the transformation committee in college football. His voice, the SEC's lead, is something that a lot of people take note of and follow. There, there's no doubt about that. And uh, we'll, we'll see what comes out of the league office and, and kind of where they are and the stage 
they're going to try to set and the narrative they're going to try to set for not only their league, but also for college football moving forward. All right, Brent, get back to the garden. Thank you as always, man. We appreciate you. And uh, tell Austin we said hello. All right, we'll do it, guys. Thanks. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Follow Brent on Twitter at Brent underscore Hobbs. VolQuest underscore Rivals is where you can find it. VolQuest.com has got you covered on all of this and so much more. Uh, The War Room jam-packed with information today. Posts every Friday morning. Uh, VolQuest.com for the very latest from Brent Austin and their incredible staff. Uh, Part of the OutKick staff is Kayla Canaram. She joins us next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Our thanks to Clark Lee, Vanderbilt head coach, Bobby Carpenter, and Brent Hubbs for joining the show. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. Beautiful day in downtown Nashville. Hope it is uh, wherever you may be listening across the Outkick network going into the weekend. It's always beautiful in Los Angeles. That's where Kayla Canaram Never rains. Is. Uh, yeah, never <laughs> rains. Maybe today's the only day it's raining. I, I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, Kayla joins us from Outkick.com, Outkick Bets. Kayla, great to see you. Hope things are well. Guys, it's so good to see you. I missed you. LA misses you too. We miss LA. Yes. Uh, ever, ever since we left, we just haven't been the same. And the weather hasn't been the same, Hutton. It's, it's nice and sunny here today, but the wind is blowing. Yeah, we go ahead. Do you get but, a lot of wind in LA or is what, it just always perfect like yeah, we're there in the, February? What's the temperature today? Well, funny you mentioned that. We're in the middle of gray May and we're then going into June gloom. So whatever reason, every year from May to June, it's gross here. It's been cloudy every day this week. It's in the 60s, which it normally is, but so gross. Uh, yeah, not not very sunny this week. Gray May sounds that, like an upcoming uh, sounds like a plot line of the upcoming Game of Thrones uh, spinoff. That's one of the two episodes we call Gray May or any day in Dayton, Ohio. That's true. You know, also that. <laughs> uh, so the uh, PGA Championship. Jacob's got the the leaderboard for us as we're going to scroll through. Um, but uh, Justin Thomas, the leader, Kayla six under. He had a great day earlier today in round two, uh, three under for the day, six under for the tournament. So he's the leader currently. And it's going to be in great position going into the weekend. But Pereira, Zalatoris, Abe Anser is there. Uh, Fitzpatrick and Cameron Smith. We know Rory McIlroy uh, positioned himself well yesterday. And despite being two over right now as he's on the the second nine of his round, he's three under for the tournament. As you see the leaderboard uh, and try to position us for... Some, some great advice here on how we should go to FanDuel and, and, and place our future bets. Who are you watching for to make a move this weekend at the PGA Championship in Tulsa? Okay, you guys. When I thought I was coming on Monday, I wrote this on Monday, and I'm still keeping it the same because yeah. I actually had Rory at the top of my list. I don't know what it is right now, but I'm all in on Rory. I love his finish at the Masters. He still knows how to get the crowd roaring. Um, he's playing for his fifth major title, his third, third time's a charm championship, uh, PGA championship. His last one came in 2014. And like you said, he currently stands, uh, tied for third after the, in the second round, um, sitting at three under. So I'm in all, all in on Rory right now. He's plus five fifty on FanDuel. Um, Justin Thomas is just above him at plus two twenty. So I'm going to have my eyes on Rory. I also think it'd be cool, uh, for Jordan Spieth to get that grand slam. Um, we'll see how, 
the tournament shapes up for him. I don't think he's doing as well, but yeah, I like, I would be happy with Justin. I would be happy with Rory. Chad, but I'm team Rory right now. Chad, um, she, she says team Rory. I, I feel the same way. Uh, I like JT, uh, shout out Fy Kern, uh, down in yes. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but you know, w- with Justin Thomas, it, unless it's Justin Thomas, I don't know if there's anyone matched up head to head. I would root against if Rory McIlroy is going for the championship this weekend. You yeah, feel different I, because I, he's look, not I, the American. He's I, not the traditional American, right? Yeah. He almost feels American though. No, I, I we've, agree. we've embraced him so much. Yes. Yeah, we, we love we love Northern Ireland in America. So I, I feel like we're all we're all sort of spit uh, off from Ireland in, in spirit. Yeah. And also, look, I'm down to five dollars and forty two cents in my FanDuel account. So oh, what I need shoot. is like a dollar or two before I, I re up and I will at some point. Yeah. Also let you I need know we're a dollar, not from Los Angeles. A dollar or two bet to uh to make sure that I win. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take Kayla's advice and go with Rory over the weekend. I did not bet him before this tournament started. Now, after the whole dust up with Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. Everyone is circling October 8th, Kayla, as the day in college football. Currently, Alabama, a 16-point favorite at home over Texas A&M. Did anything that happened in Jimbo Fisher's retort, including saying that Nick Saban needed to get slapped as a young young boy, (laughs) did any of that change your idea on what's going to happen in that game, and and what do you like in that, that game, Alabama favored by 16? I voted in Clay's Twitter poll yesterday that I, right now I do think A&M will cover, um, especially with how the game went last season that was decided by a field goal. Um, and, you know, they've got that top rec- recruiting class, but hell hath no fury like a Nick Saban scorn. So I think both teams and coaches are going to be going to this one so fired up more than usual. I don't know. I just, I have a feeling I'm, I'm leaning A&M a little bit. I'm a, but like when I'm not rooting for Mizzou, I'm rooting for Bama. So Obviously, I'd love to see Bama come out on top, but I do think AM is definitely going to cover. Let's is this t- a new rivalry, by the way? What this is crazy. Oh, this, well, this is yeah, this is the rivalry now. But what? So you you cheer <laughs> when you're not cheering for Mizzou, you cheer for Alabama. Please explain your love of Alabama <laughs> outside of outside of Missouri. Can I explain where you Kayla? went to college? They win. That's why she cheered. That's why she. I appreciate greatness. I appreciate greatness. I love Saban. Like. I, I know he's a hot topic right now, but yeah, that was wild yesterday. The whole, you know, narcissistic comment. Are we talking about coaches? Are we talking about my ex? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I am, I'm all in on um, A&M covering right now. Uh, my account looked like Chad's after the, the game in uh, A&M last year, because I think the spread was roughly the same, Chad, going into the yeah. game. It was, yeah, a, it was, it was a two touchdown deal uh, where A&M pulled the upset. Um, if they can beat Bama and and that defense with Zach Calzada, Chad, uh, at quarterback, they they can cover this initially. Like I would take the sixteen because I think the spread goes down, not up, by the time October. Well, rolls I was around. talking to you about this, right. Hudson, but I, I was shocked to see that um, Bama at Tennessee was thirteen and a half. Bama favored, yeah. and they're favored by more over A and M. And I'm look, I think Tennessee's got a chance to be pretty good, but I'm looking at both teams and I'm thinking. What? I would absolutely take A&M to cover those 16 points if Tennessee's only a 13-and-a-half-point underdog against Alabama right now. So I like that pick. Back and that doesn't forth, make much sense. Back and forth. Kay- Kayla can air them with us from, from Outkick.com, Outkick Bets. Uh, back and forth series so far in the Eastern Conference Final. Do you believe yep. the winner of this series between uh, Boston and Miami is ultimately going to win the title this year? 
I do. I just think we've more seen more consistent basketball from the teams in the East, obviously with the top two still playing. Whereas in the West, the Suns and the Grizzlies no longer there, they got knocked out. Um, I just think with Boston and that trio of Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, they're just really unstoppable. And also I'm a little bit biased because Jason Tatum's a St. Louis guy. So I root for him. Um, I just think they're making a stronger case right now. Again, playing more consistent versus what we've seen from Golden State and Dallas. Um, even with Luca, who's believed to be the best player remaining in the playoffs right now, they got smoked by Golden State. So um, I'm all in on Boston right now. I think they'll come out of the East and I think they'll win it all. Golden State taking a 2-0 series lead tonight against Dallas? You know what? I picked Dallas uh, in game one at, I think they were plus five and a half. Totally let me down. I'm going back on Dallas tonight at plus six. So I just, they have to turn this around at some point, right? Obviously they shut Luka down. I think he had his worst shooting percentage uh, so far in the playoffs at 33%. They were able to stop him with just 20 points. So um, I'm just trying my luck again with Dallas tonight. The under hit for me on Wednesday, whatever day that was, but well, the over-under right now I think we'll see. is 214 maybe is what yes, I saw this 214. morning. Yes, 214. Okay, yeah. so, uh, do, do I take the under again or? Ooh, with this one? I'm going to take the over, uh, I think. You're going to go over? There you go, Chad. It's just the way they shut down Dallas was incredible. So I don't know. I don't know if we see that again in game two, but I am going to go back to the Mavs tonight. Plus six. Chad, one of these games fingers. has to put on a show for us. Kayla, one, of, one of these games has to entertain very us. Very responsible of Kayla not to make a pick to cost you money. Uh, I'm doing she it. didn't have a great <laughs> feeling on it. She said, you know what? I'm not going to make a pick. You make that call on your own. I will ask you to make a pick on this, though, Kayla, because I know you do work with LA Kings, so you're a Western Conference yes. gal. So you've yep. seen a lot of Western Conference hockey. Who is the second little. best team behind Colorado right now in the, in the Western Conference or maybe in all of the NHL? Well, I'm going to go all of the NHL. Originally, I said I would think it'd be cool to have all four division leaders playing in the East and West finals. But I think the one favorite that gets upset is going to be the Panthers. I'm all in on the Lightning right now. They took a commanding 2-0 lead on the road in Florida. So I think the Lightning are the second best behind the Avalanche as it stands. Behind them, probably the Hurricanes and then Flames. But I'm all in on Lightning Here's the thing about Tampa, Chad and Kayla, that that just bugs me. Like they they had so back to back Stanley Cup champs. Uh, yeah, they had nothing to like. When I say they had nothing to play for in the regular season, like it's just kind of a layup at this point. Like they, it's all about just getting back to the playoffs now. It, who cares about a Presidents Cup or a Presidents Trophy, right? Like they they're mm-hmm. just getting back, and then they take Toronto. Toronto has a three two series lead with a chance to finally get over the hump in the playoffs yeah. and win a first-round series. They have to go through Tampa. They have to go back to Tampa. They lose. And then Tampa wins a Game 7 on the road at Toronto. Uh, so I tend, to, I tend to agree with what she's saying because they, if they pull this off uh, with the three-peat and the dynasty that they have during this era of COVID and then the, the salary cap issues they had a year ago, they've been banged up again. I think their roster is banged up right now. It's remarkable what mm-hmm. they've done. I don't know if they can get through Colorado, but it's remarkable what they've done, Chad. I, I, I just like how she rolled through all the natural disasters so well. The hurricanes, <laughs> the lightning, flames. I just heard in sequence those three things that are all going to pay <laughs> off right now. Um, is I'm there- also really good friends with uh, Francesca and Pat Maroon, so I'm rooting for them. And this, if they win the cup, this would be his fourth Stanley Cup win in a row. That's insane. Wow. He got blues. Blues and then back-to-back Lightning. I would love it if it was a Blues-Lightning Stanley Cup finals, but 
I don't think that'll happen. So Kay- one can dream. Kayla, we know there's not going to be a, a triple crown winner this year uh, with the Preakness tomorrow. Right? Yes. Uh, what What should we be watching in the Preakness since we're not going to see the possibility of a triple crown winner? That's right. Rich Strike is sitting this one out as he prepares for the Belmont Stakes. So no triple crown, as you said. Right now, the favorites are Simplification at six to one. Epicenter's back uh, six to five. Early voting seven to two. Secret Oath nine to two. My personal favorite, I go by names in horse racing, which you should not follow my lead here, is Skippy Longstocking at oh, 20 to one. <laughs> How cute is that name? Um, the long shot in this one, by the way, since we should apparently be paying attention to long shots now is Finwick at 50 to one odds, but my money's on Skippy Longstocking. Do you have a cat named Skippy Longstocking also? (laughs) That sounds like the name of a pet cat. It's a great idea. I don't have any pets, but should I get one? That name will be in the running. I hate the idea that you can win the Derby, but not immediately go for the triple crown. Like this is... This is I like, know. It's this a, is the it's a letdown. Of, it's a letdown too, Chad, of the who, whoever the coach was that went anonymous, quote, uh, to react to whatever happened between Saban and Jimbo Fisher at LSU. And they were like anon- yeah. anonymous off the record coach. I'm like, on a day where both coaches went all in, you're going to go <laughs> off the record? Yeah, I want Kirby yeah. Smart to come out top row and be like, yeah, I'll tell you like, what happened. You want to know what happened? I'm going to tell you everything that, that happened. A coach that won't be named told me this about there. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I feel the same way about the owner for Rich Strike. If, you have a, yeah. if you're a long shot like this, please go for the Triple Crown. That gives me a reason to watch. Like, I, I, I exactly. would rather just watch the highlights now than tune totally into the Preakness, and that sucks. I'm right there with you. All right, so who are, it, it just makes it more exciting. You're, take, you're taking long stopping. Uh, Epicenter, um, they were the Epicenter is probably a good bet. They were the pre <laughs> that their team was the pre race favorite, right? Epicenter was the favorite at the Derby prior yes. to the upset. Okay, yep. I'm just making sure I've got my horses right here. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of them all. Uh, what was the other one I liked in the Derby? Uh, like Smile Happy or someone? Smile Happy's not in this one either. So that's it. Nice. Is what it is. Any any NFL scheduling props or picks based on the, the the schedule that came out that you like right now that we should play in advance? Oof. I mean, I like the Chiefs at plus nine fifty to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's good. Shocking, shocking no one. Um, I did write a story for Outkick.com last week highlighting some of the NFL win totals. Uh, this is my controversial take. I think the Rams are gonna go under ten and a half wins this upcoming season. I think their Super Bowl win is a little fluky. That's just my opinion. Under 10 and a half. Um, I'm trying to think about who I would pick over in that. So maybe, are you higher on Arizona? What was their win total? What, maybe, um, maybe it was San Francisco. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the head-to-head matchups. They're going to get, they should, right. I say they, they're going to. They should get two wins against Seattle. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I I would be tempted to take the over 10 and a half with the Rams just based just, on their division. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, San Francisco, they somehow have that San weird Fran. hang up with them. Um, they have yeah. the chiefs at Arrowhead. So that's a loss. Um, but yeah, yeah but I just don't think they're <laughs> out there. Do you lean more Rams or chargers as a fan in LA? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I don't like the Chargers at all because they're a direct competitor to the Chiefs. Uh, so probably more Rams. I went to a few Rams games this year. I have friends that still work for the team. But as far as who's going to win out of those two, that's a good question because I almost think the Chargers have the better team, even though we saw them when the Rams won oh, the they, Super Bowl. They have loaded up. Uh, that, that's, yeah. 
Uh, they, yeah, they scare me. <laughs> the problem with the Chargers, the Rams won, and all the front runners now uh, with, in LA will jump on board with uh, the defending champs. Uh, That's Red, also true. Yes, well, but but maybe Herbert, maybe Herbert, Chad's favorite quarterback. Um, Kayla Kinnearum has been our guest. Go ahead, Kayla. <laughs> I was just going to say it's crazy because every team that played the Chargers this year was basically the home team. Whereas yeah. the, I feel like LA's embraced the Rams a little more, obviously because they used to be in LA, but. Uh, the, the Chargers have had a tough time building up a fan base with the Rams here as well. All right. Final thing on the way out. Give us, if you can, do you have like a three-team parlay for the weekend or a, 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 a something that we can play at FanDuel where we can all be rooting in the same interest? Okay. Yes. I've got uh, a few plays I like. I'm going to take Luca over 31 and a half tonight. Again, these are all risky bets, but Let's go. guys, I'm three. I'm three and one on the week. I had a week where I was eight and one. We are definitely up overall. So, Chad listen is to looking, me or don't. He's but. looking to lose fifty cents tonight on this parlay. <laughs> yeah, so I, need a, I, I need a nice twenty-five cent parlay that's going to pay me about two hundred seventy-five dollars. So, let's put that together right now. Give me all the games, and I've got. Right. A, this is what a. 47 leg parlay yeah. I got to hit over the weekend. All right, so it's Luca over 31 Luka and a half points. Over right. 31 and a half. Write it down. He's done it in seven of their 13 games so far in the postseason. I like the Oilers' money to, money line tonight at plus 150 and the Celtics tomorrow at minus six and a half. All right, we're going to do this. Luca, okay. Luca over 31 and a half tonight. Oilers' money line. I mean, line. it's going to be a tough after that 20 point game on Wednesday, but. And Celtics minus six and a half tomorrow. Yes. So uh, you, I'm, I'm proud. I'm going to let you know exactly how much $1 in this bet will pay back here in just a second. All right. Please do. I'm on the edge of my seat. Yes. Uh, Jacob, on the way out, can we throw up the uh, the PGA Championship uh, standings again? And, and you said uh, hopefully we can do this. Can you jump down to wherever Tiger is? Um, the cut line earlier was... Oh, I had this actually. Okay. The cut line earlier was uh, at four over. Um, I hope it's... I hope he's above that. I don't know if the cut line remains at four over, and we'll update this before we we're off the air today. Uh, but, he was at plus three right now, okay, tied good. for fifth. Okay, good. Or fifty something. Yeah, but yeah so at he, plus three. A chance to to make the cut there. Uh, follow Kayla on Twitter at Kayla Kinnear. Kayla, thank you as always. Let's catch up. Thanks, soon. guys. Hey, let's yes, win. Yes, please. Let's win. Let's all win. Let's Mine win. Big. Three team parlay tonight: Luca, Oilers, <laughs> Celtics uh, tonight and tomorrow combined. Hey, enjoy your enjoy the foggy gray May day out in LA. <laughs> Thank you so much. You guys have a great weekend. Good to All see right. you. Thanks, Kayla. We were extremely jealous of uh, Kayla's uh, surroundings in Los Angeles uh, and our trip there from the Super Bowl. Um, outstanding setup, and um, I've look, almost made this happen. Every I'm... day's between sixty degrees and seventy-five. One dollar, one dollar bet on this three-leg parlay will pay you seven dollars and sixty cents. Right, let's go. Doing it right now. Done. Bet placed. Coming up, we I'm get now you down ready to $4 for the weekend. <laughs> Outkick 360 rolls on. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm asking Kuharski for an update in Vegas, 
as he probably wakes up in Nevada right now. Outkick 360 rolls on on this Friday we afternoon. We know that when Paul is not feeling well, he will not respond. <laughs> uh, we were in Minneapolis for the Super Bowl a few oh. years back with this show. And it was a legitimate virus. He had a stomach bug. Yeah. And Paul, um, Paul we went to a big dinner out. Uh, with someone that we took to dinner that night that we will never name again on this show, the person we took out that night, ever, ever again, because they wronged us. And when you wrong us, as uh, as Jimbo Fisher said about Nick Saban, no, we're done. By the <laughs> we're way, done. we're done with this person, and we'll never talk about them again. I asked him, I asked him for the update. He says he's up. Oh, that's good. More good. than 24 hours, boots on the ground, he's up. That's good, Congratulations, though, that, that's good though that he's up. So we're in Minneapolis. We go out to a huge dinner. Uh, Paul starts throwing up shortly after the dinner, and at first he's thinking, oh, it's food poisoning or whatever, and I'm thinking, this might maybe a stomach virus, or he woke up the next morning. Pretty much like overnight, yeah, was, wakes remember, up, throwing up. He was feeling weird room on the point. way there. He was already yeah. like clammy. We're sharing a room uh, at this point. He wakes up in the middle of the night, throwing up. I leave early in the morning uh, to go to our spot on Radio Row in, in Minneapolis, which is at the food court of Mall of America, so we're you know in the afternoon at this point, like sometime after right lunch. Right next to a Panda Express. We're there in the morning. I text him late morning. Hey, are you okay? <laughs> During the show, you know we know he's not going to show up for the show. That's fine. He's throwing up. Hey, you all right? Nothing. Call mid show. Nothing. Send another text. Nothing. Call again. Finally, an hour after our show ends, late afternoon, I have to call the front desk to do a wellness check. On Paul, because he's not <laughs> responding. And for all I know, the guy is like choked on his own vomit. Yeah, we had no idea. And is dead. Is so, he alive? I mean, he's not responding at all. They walk over there. Oh, no, no, he's fine. He's sitting up in his bed uh, on his computer, writing. So I walk back over to the hotel, which is right across the way from Mall of America, and open the door, and I'm just like, Chief, you couldn't bother to just respond with a why even? Are you okay? Why? As in, Yes. Something. Period. Anything. The guy is writing oh, for his website. They're sitting up in his. Oh, he's like, oh, I've just been sick and, you know, kind of out of it. But he's sitting there hammering out an article for his website, sitting up in bed. One of the uh, worst moments for me with Paul <laughs> was right then. I just could not believe that you wouldn't think enough of someone that is concerned with your well-being to just say, "I'm alive" or anything. I would have left it alone at that point. I mean, this was over the span of, what would you say, Hutton? Uh, eight, oh, nine a, hours? Yeah, it was a long day. I mean, it was, we were there at 6.37 a.m. recording things. We're done at 3 p.m. Yeah. It's probably 4 p.m. It's, well, it's a good nine hours. We were chatting with Dan Orlovsky, is where we, and uh, this was well after the show. We were taping something for the next day when uh, you, you were just like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to call the front desk to do a wellness check on this guy. He won't respond. And they had to go there with a key. Open up the door yeah. and uh, check on him. He was just, you know, up and riding. And the layout for this, like, at the, we're not staying nearby. Um, and there, you know, there was ice and snow on the ground. It wasn't a great spot for the Super Bowl, uh, accommodation-wise, for the layout of things. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like we could just walk down the hallway and knock on his door. So no, it was, it was very awkward that we were in a hotel that was sort of connected to. A parking garage of Mall of America, yeah. kind of, but Which we is had a to massive. Place. But remember, we had to go outside for like fifty yards, maybe tops. So we were actually in the ice and snow for about fifty yards. Then we'd go into a. Uh, remember, they had the armed guards because the Eagles, I think, were staying in that hotel next to us. Yeah. So we'd go through the military armed guards in the garage to enter Mall of America, 
and then have to go up you know, to the third or fourth level of Mall of America, go to our broadcast spot in the food court, and then go back outside in the ice and snow. And I walked all the way back over just to check on Paul, basically just to ream him out uh, for not even responding to me. Uh, one of the things I'll be looking for this weekend, who will be the first guy? There's always going to be that guy who's going to have the dissenting opinion on Top Gun that will have the first opinion of several just to get the retweets that says this movie sucks. There will be someone. I don't know who it's going to be. I'm just saying like that's I'm, I'm anticipating those things happening. Um, you guys, I bet it's going to be Paul. <clears throat> Paul. Well, Paul won't watch it for a while. But he'll be the one that the only person that doesn't like it. Uh, six of the oh, people are giving away tickets to see the uh, the film. Yeah, he's not going to like it uh, because he a couple reasons. One, he knows I'm going to love it, and two, because Tom Cruise is in it. Those are the two reasons that Paul will not like Top Gun Maverick, regardless of how good it is. Corey Taylor, have a great weekend. Corey's the man. You too, guys. Davy Hudson. Everyone in here is Dylan great right Taylor. Now. Great job. Jakob Swanson. Uh, uh, Dylan's predicting that Darren Ravel will hate Top Gun. Yes. Probably. He's going to have a lot of critiques. Have a great weekend. We are back at it on Monday for Outkick 360 across the great Outkick Network.